Good evening, friend. It's Old Hat, winding down at the end of a long, busy day for me. I hope your day was good. I thought I'd read you another story tonight. This is another one by Washington Irving. He was named after George Washington. This one's called Golden Dreams, and it has a good ending. So I just thought I'd warn you about that, because I read uh, Rip Van Winkle to you and had some a lot to think about in that book. <laughs> this one ends happy, though. I'll just tell you that now. Golden Dreams. Keep out of my garden, Wolfert Weber yelled at the children who broke in to steal his cabbages. When he went back into the house, he told his wife, This city is getting too big. Those pesky neighbor kids are always causing trouble. It was the 1700s, a time when the mighty city of New York was only a small town on the tip of Manhattan Island. Wolfert and his wife lived on the outskirts. When his ancestors came to the New World, they brought with them the best cabbages in Europe. The family had raised cabbages for generations. Wolfert was famous for his cabbages. At that time, the city was growing quickly. Houses were springing up everywhere. The rural lanes were becoming busy streets. All the noise and people bothered Wolfert. But even worse was the way the prosperous city seemed to make everybody rich except Wolfert. The cost of living went up, but he couldn't grow more cabbages than before, so he was always worrying. It wouldn't be so bad, he said to his wife, if it was just the two of us, but we have to think of Amy. The Webbers gave their daughter every advantage. She learned to sew very skillfully and to put up all kinds of pickles and preserves. She liked to plant bright flowers among the cabbages to make the garden more lovely. Amy was a very pretty girl of 17. Like any growing girl, she wanted fine clothes and jewelry. Looking at the hearts pierced by arrows that she sewed into her hankies, Wolfert knew that she was interested in something more than planting flowers or putting up pickles. This new interest was a young man named Dirk Waldron. He was the son of a poor widow, a strong and energetic youth with a fresh, clear face. He talked little, but he sat for long periods with the family. He filled Wolfert's pipe for him. He held the mother's ball of wool when she was knitting. He poured the tea and passed around the cups. Though Amy was always giving Dirk sly glances and winks, her father never noticed. He sat by the fire smoking and worrying about money. But one night, as Amy was seeing Dirk to the door, her father heard the distinct smack of a kiss. Can it be, he asked himself, my little girl has grown to become a woman, and what's worse, she's fallen in love. Wolfert was a kind father, but a cautious one. Young Dirk had neither money nor land. If the two young people married, Wolfert would have, would have to give them a corner of his farm. But the land was hardly enough to support Wolfert's own family. He figured it would be better to nip the romance in the bud. He went to his daughter and laid down the law. I don't want young Dirk Waldron in my house again, he told her. I know how you feel, but this is for your own good. Amy had a little cry over this, but because she was an obedient daughter, she never pouted or sulked. From that time on, she wouldn't let Dirk into the house. If she talked to him, it was out the kitchen window or over the garden fence. Wolfert's favorite place to pass the time was a country inn a few miles to the north, over by the river. It was an old Dutch tavern where he and his friends would gather to pitch horseshoes and talk over business. 
One bitter and windy autumn day, Wolfert walked up to the inn. Everyone was inside because of the cold. Since it was Saturday, there was a good crowd of folks sitting around talking. It'll be a cold night for the money diggers, said the host. Are they at work again? asked a one-eyed English army officer who always hung around the inn. Indeed they are, said the host, and they've had a good luck lately. They dug up a pot of gold behind Stuyvesant's orchard. It must have been buried there in the days of old Peter Stuyvesant, the Dutch governor. Fudge, I don't believe it at all, said the officer. You can believe it or not, just as you like, said the host, but everybody knows that Peter Stuyvesant buried a great heap of money when the English came to take over. Some say his ghost walks at night, looking just like the portrait of him. I still say fudge, said the one-eyed officer. Well, Corny Van Zant saw him, said the host. Out at midnight he was, walking around on his wooden leg and with a sword in his hand that flashed like fire. Why, why would a ghost be walking except that somebody was digging near his buried treasure? Wolfert listened very carefully to these words. Whenever the talk turned to treasure, he always perked up his ears. He sure wanted to find some of that buried gold for himself. The next to speak was an old man named Peachy Paul Van Hook. He knew more stories than anyone at the end, and he always was eager to tell one. Folks have dug up money in many parts of this here island, he declared. They always dream three times about treasure before they find it. It's usually a heap of money the old Dutchman buried years ago. Fiddlesticks with your Dutchman, cried the English officer. All this treasure was buried by Captain Kidd and his crew. He began to tell stories about Captain Kidd, the greatest pirate that ever sailed the seas. The tales always ended with the buccaneer burying his loot in some hidden spot right there on the island of Manhattan. Wolfert Weber took all this in. As he was walking home, he couldn't help but imagine the great quantities of treasure buried around him. Why, he might be walking on top of a pile of gold right this minute. Why am I so unlucky, he asked himself. Others go to bed and dream of wealth. The next morning they go out and dig up gold doubloons as if they were potatoes. But I dream only of my troubles, and all I dig is cabbages. He went to bed that night feeling very low, but as soon as he was asleep, he dreamed of a huge treasure buried in his garden. Every time he thrust in the shovel, he turned up more gold, diamonds, and sacks of money. When he awoke, he was as poor as ever. He didn't even want to work in his fields. He only sat by the chimney and thought about buried treasure. The next night, he dreamed of gold again. He passed the day wishing that his dream would come true. The third night, he could hardly sleep. But sure enough, as soon as he dozed off, the golden dream came to him again. A dream repeated three times has never been known to lie, he declared the next morning. He was so excited, he put his shirt on backwards. <laughs> he was rich. All he had to do was dig up the treasure buried beneath his cabbage field. At breakfast, he asked Amy to put a lump of gold in his tea. Passing the pancakes to his wife, he told her to help herself to a gold doubloon. The problem was, how could he uncover the treasure without anyone knowing? He would dig at night. Every night, he was out in his fields with a pick and a shovel, digging as fast as he could by the light of a lantern. Up and down his fields, he went, searching for the treasure. Soon, his orderly fields of cabbage began to look like a battlefield. You're digging up all the cabbages, his wife pleaded with him. You're ruining my flowers, his daughter cried. It doesn't matter, Wolford assured them. Soon we'll all be rich, rich. His family began to think that Wolford had gone crazy. <laughs> Even in his sleep, he talked about gold and pearls and diamonds. 
During the day, he walked around as if in a trance. Dame Weber went to her friends to tell them the latest foolishness of her husband, and Amy couldn't concentrate on her sewing, worry as she did about her father. Cheer up, Wolfert told her. Someday we'll be as rich as the Van Horns and the Van Dams. Why, the governor himself will be glad to have his son marry you. Amy just shook her head. Wolfert went on digging. His dream had not told him exactly where to find the treasure. Because his cabbage fields were large, he had to try everywhere. He dug and dug, but he still had a long way to go when winter set in. The ground froze hard, and it was too cold at night to dig. But as soon as frogs announced that spring had returned, Wolfert was right back out there digging. He no longer worked during the day. He just sat around. At night, he went into the fields and dug hole after hole. He found nothing. Instead of growing rich, he, he neglected his crops and became poorer than ever. All summer, he dug for treasure. Before he knew it, another autumn came. He still hadn't found any gold. When the cold weather arrived again, he didn't have his usual supply of cabbages. His family had to scrimp to get by. What could be worse, he asked, than to have to pinch pennies when a fortune in treasure lies buried out in your own field? Feeling terrible, he moped around and worried all the time. At first, his neighbors thought poor Wolfert had gone crazy, so they all pitied him. But then word, around, word went around that Wolfert was broke, so they all avoided him. The only one who continued to come around was Dirk Waldron. He was still in love with Amy, and she still smiled at him from the kitchen window. He seemed to love her even more now that she was truly poor. Many months passed since Wolfert had visited the country inn where he used to spend his time. One Saturday afternoon, feeling very sorry for himself, he was taking a long walk and found himself near the inn. He wondered whether he should enter. His friends didn't seem to want to see him anymore, but he needed to talk to somebody, so he went in through the door. His old pals were all there, along with a stranger, who immediately drew Wolfert's attention. This newcomer had the weather-beaten features of a sailor. His face bore a long scar across the cheek that split his upper lip and let his teeth show through. He talked in a loud voice and ordered everyone around. You're wondering who that stranger is, said Peachy Paw, taking Wilford aside. It's an odd story. Several months earlier, during a fierce storm, this man had landed on the shores with his enormous sea chest. He took a room at the inn and had lived there ever since. He spent much of his time sitting by the window and looking out at the water through a telescope. He watched every ship that came by. You should hear the stories, he tells Peachy Paul, whispered to Wolfert. He knows about every pirate adventure of the last 20 years. He loves to tell about terrific fights over Spanish galleons full of treasure. No one dared to contradict the sailor. If they did, he would shout, How do you know? Were you there? In fact, many of the men who gathered at the inn began to wonder if these were stories the stranger heard or if he actually was a pirate. Maybe he had helped raid the ships he talked about. Maybe he had taken part in the fierce fights himself. The owner of the inn wanted to get rid of the stranger, but he didn't know how. Wolfert was amazed to hear of the arrival of this strange man. He was also eager for any new account of pirate treasure. He took a seat where he could listen to everything that was being said in the room. Sure enough, the sailor soon began to tell of the capture of a Spanish cargo ship by pirates. There was a terrible fight, he said. A few of the pirates were shot, but they kept coming at the ship's crew, clanking their swords something fierce. They took over the ship, but a Spanish gentleman who was aboard would not give up. 
he gave the pirate captain an awful sword slash right across his face. What did they do with the prisoners? Peachy Paw asked. Threw them all overboard, the sailor answered with a wicked grin. Dead silence followed these words. All the honest townspeople looked at the deep scar that ran across the stranger's face. They moved nervously in their chairs. The one-eyed army officer was always trying to top the stranger's stories. He now began a long account of Captain Kidd and his crew. And when they had the treasure in their hands, he said, finishing the story, they sailed up the Hudson and buried it on this island. Never, shouted the sailor. Kidd never came up the Hudson to bury any treasure. I tell you he did, insisted the officer. And what do you know about it anyway, the sailor demanded. I was in London when Captain Kidd was tried as a pirate, the officer said. I saw him hanged. They should have hanged a landlubber instead, was the reply of the sailor. The officer had no answer to this. He fell silent, staring bitterly at the stranger. I have to agree, said Peachy Paw, that Captain Kidd never buried any money around here, but there were plenty of pirates that used to pull into the little coves along Manhattan Island and hide their loot. Why, I remember one time he was interrupted by the sailor, slamming his fist on the table. Hark ye, the man said. You'd better let the buccaneers and their treasure alone. They fought hard for their money. You landlubbers shouldn't be thinking about digging it up if you want to stay out of trouble. Peachy Paw held his tongue. Silence fell on the room. The sailor pulled out a Spanish-looking watch, checked the time, and went up to his room. Wolfert Weber had been listening carefully to this talk of pirates. All of the stories were full of gold and diamonds and shiny doubloons, and the stranger, Wolfert thought, had to be a pirate himself. He would surely know the truth about buried treasure. After the stranger went up to his room, everyone urged Peachy Paw to continue his story. A thunderstorm had blown up outside, and because of the rain, no one wanted to start for home until the storm passed. Everybody knows old Sam, Peachy began. He's the old black man who's been fishing around this island for a good 50 years. One evening, when he was still a young man, he was trying his luck up in the area of Hellgate, According to the story, Sam was concentrating so hard on his fishing that he didn't notice that the tide had changed. The currents and whirlpools were so dangerous around those parts that he had to wait until the tide changed again before he could row home. As night came on, a storm swept in from the west. Sam pulled his boat into a cove along the Manhattan shore. He tied up under a tree. Protected by a canopy of leaves, he waited as the wind roared and lightning flashed. He settled in the bottom of his boat and fell asleep. When he awoke, the storm had passed and all was quiet. The night was very dark. Sam started to untie his boat when he saw a light approaching rapidly across the water. It was a lantern in the bow of a boat. This is the place, he heard a voice say. Here's the iron ring. The boat was tied up in a little cove very near to where Sam was. Five desperate-looking fellows came ashore carrying something heavy. Some of them were armed with knives and pistols. They carried their load into the bushes. Curious, Sam crept out of his boat and climbed a ridge above where the men were headed. Have you brought the spades? One man asked. They're here, said another. We must dig deep so that no one finds it. A cold chill ran through Sam's veins. They must be murderers about to bury their victim, he thought. Now Sam loved a mystery. Instead of sneaking back to his boat, he decided to creep even closer. He moved inch by inch, careful not to make any noise. Soon he reached a large rock. When he raised his head over the edge of it, he found that he was right above where the men were digging. He froze. 
terrified of making the least sound. By this time, the grave was nearly filled back in. The men replaced the turf and scattered leaves over it so that no one would notice that the ground had been dug up. Not even the devil himself will find it now, one man said. You murderers, Sam shouted without thinking. All the men looked up to where Sam was peeking over the rock. Get him, one shouted. Sam heard a pistol being cocked, but he was already running. He scrambled through the brush as fast as he could go. He could hear the murderers chasing after him. Soon he came to the edge of the cliff that overlooked the cove where he had left his boat. It was a sheer drop. He could go no farther. One of the men saw him up there. He aimed his pistol and fired. The bullet went whistling past Sam's head, but Sam was smart enough to give a yell and fall down. He pushed a big rock over the cliff. It splashed in the water. That's the end of him, the man told his pals. He'll tell no tales except to the fish. Sam now snuck down to the water's edge and climbed quietly into his boat. He cast off, letting the current take him down the river away before he dared to row. Then he made his way home as fast as he could. He didn't feel safe until he was back in his own bed. Here Peachy Paw ended his story and took a drink. Is that all? asked the one-eyed officer. Didn't Sam ever find out what it was they buried? That's all. Sam wasn't so eager to go back there. Why would he look for a dead body when the murderers were long gone? But are you sure it was a dead body they were burying? asked Wilford. He had already convinced himself that it was a fortune in gold. I'm sure, said Peachy. It still haunts that ruin of a house that sits not far from Hellgate. That's all fudge, said the officer. It's nothing but an old wives' tale. Indeed it is not, Peachy declared. I believe it as well as if it happened to me. Wolfert didn't say anything more, but his head was full of gold blends. That was what those pirates had buried, and he knew it. He was already thinking of some way to find the spot, when he could simply dig up that treasure, and he'd be rich. There was a brief silence. The storm for a moment had called. Then from outside, the men all heard the loud crack of a musket being fired. They rushed to the window. From down by the water, they heard someone yell, then another mus musket shot. What could it mean? Ahoy there, cried the strange sailor from his room on the second floor. He had flung his window open. The men downstairs could hear him shouting into the night. Someone answered. His voice seemed to be coming from out on the river itself, but when lightning flashed across the sky, no one could be seen. They heard a loud boom and then a scraping sound overhead as if someone was moving furniture. The sailor called for a servant to come and help him. A few minutes later, he appeared downstairs, aided by the servant. He was carrying his big sea chest. The owner of the inn was amazed. Surely you're not going on the water in the middle of a storm like this, he said. Storm? The sailor scoffed. You call such a sputter of weather a storm? You'll get drenched to the skin and catch your death of cold, said Peachy Paw. Thunder and lightning, said the sailor. Don't preach about weather to a man who has sailed in hurricanes. They heard the voice from out on the water calling again. The sailor, with the help of the servant, lugged his heavy sea chest out of the inn and down towards the shore. They couldn't believe he was actually going to go out into the wild waves in this storm. They went out with a lantern to follow him down. Get rid of that light, cried a hoarse voice from the water. No one wants lights here. Thunder and lightning, yelled the sailor. Get back to the inn, all of you. You have no business following me. Wolfred and his friends took a few steps backward. Curious to see what happened, they watched from the bushes. A flash of lightning showed a boat full of men near the point. It rose and sank with each wave. The men could barely keep hold of the shore with a long pole. 
The sailor rested one end of the sea chest on the edge of the boat and grabbed the handle to lift it in. Just then the boat was jerked away from the shore by a wave. The chest splashed into the water, pulling the sailor with it. Both of them quickly sank out of sight. Look out, the men on shore shouted. The boat was pulled away by the current. Wolfert thought he heard a cry for help, but when the next lightning flash came, the water where the sailor had fallen in was empty and the boat was gone. Only the waves kept splashing against the rocks. The men returned to the inn, badly shaken by what they had seen. At least he paid his bill before he left, said the owner of the inn. He came in a storm and went in a storm, said Peachy Paw. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows where he went to. He's gone to Davy Jones's locker, said Wolfert. The storm that had raged around the inn now ended. It was almost midnight, so all the men sat out for home. As they left, each gave a nervous glance towards the shore where the sailor had disappeared. Wolfert half expected to see him there, floating on his sea chest in the moonlight. He couldn't stop thinking of the account of old Sam. He was sure he knew the real story. The men in the boat weren't murderers. They were pirates. They'd come to bury their treasure. That treasure still lay somewhere waiting to be uncovered. Wolfert finally saw a sure way to find the treasure for which he had been searching during all those long years. He would get old Sam to lead him to the place of his adventure and point out the exact spot. Then he would dig up the gold and be rich for the rest of his life. Wolfert could hardly wait. He had to find old Sam. I've fished these waters since before you were born, Sam said when Wolfert finally found him. The event you're talking about happened a good long time ago. Sam lived down at the tip of Manhattan near what's now the Battery. He'd built his small cabin from driftwood and pieces of wrecked ships near the old fort there. Wolfert got him to tell him the story of the night the men buried something up along the shore. Nobody's uncovered what those men have buried, have they? Wolfert asked. I wouldn't know about that, said Sam. I do know there's a lot of crazy people around. They spend their time digging for gold when they could be fishing. Sam was an old man now with white hair on his head. Wolfert promised to pay him handsomely if he would guide him back to the very spot where his adventure had occurred. Sam was glad to do it. We can't go right now, Sam said. The tide's not right. We'll walk, Wolfert said. He was so anxious to get his gold, he didn't want to wait a minute. They walked about five miles up the eastern shore of Manhattan. They made their way through overgrown brush and brambles until they came to a spot where a house had once stood. Now it was just a pile of rubble with two chimneys still standing. This, thought Wolfert, is that silly haunted house they talk about. The two men walked right down to the water's edge. Sam pointed out the cove where the men had landed. An iron ring was still fixed in the rock. Above it, three small crosses were carved into the stone face. It took more searching to find the place of the burial. It had been night when Sam first came here, and he'd been more interested in what the men were doing than in what, where they did it. They finally came to a spot which Sam thought looked right. Look, Wolfert exclaimed, there are the same three crosses carved into the rock, probably left there as a sign. Now tell me, where did the men dig? I'm not altogether sure about that, Sam said. Maybe it was over there, or it could have been by that mulberry bush, or it might have been up on that knoll. Well, it's too late to start digging now, said Wolfert. Anyway, we didn't bring shovels. We'll have to come back. The two men started for home. When they were passing the old farm, a noise caught their attention. They looked around to see a man carrying a sack towards the ruined house. Oh my, Wolford exclaimed. It's the sailor from the inn, the same who drowned in the river that other night. 
At that point, the sailor turned and waved his fist at Wolfert as if to threaten him. Wilfred didn't stay around to see anything more. He and Sam both ran. They tore through the brush and didn't slow down until they reached the road back to town. Now, Wilfred wasn't so sure he wanted to return to that haunted spot. He wandered around his house all day, dreaming of gold and also of the mysterious sailor's ghost. He talked in his sleep and was bothered by nightmares. His wife decided to call in Dr. Kipper. He was famous in Manhattan, and not just for his healing skills, but because he knew all about witchcraft and magic. He's not been himself for a long time, Doctor, Dame Weber said. Can't you please do something? Dr. Kipper listened carefully as the woman described her husband's behavior. He was especially interested in Wolfert's search for gold. The truth was that Dr. Kipper was also eager to get rich by digging for buried treasure, so instead of curing Wolfert of his obsession with digging, he caught the same illness himself. I'm sure you're right about the money being buried out there, the doctor told Wolfert, but you must uncover it carefully and with much secrecy. You especially need to have a divining rod. Where would I get one of those? Wolfert asked. Perhaps I could find such a thing for you, Dr. Kipper said. I would like to help you all I can. This was wonderful. Wolfert was glad to have an educated man to help him look for the treasure. Dame Weber was pleased that the doctor's visit seemed to be helping her husband immensely. Little did she know that the two men were busy making plans to go out together and hunt for buried gold. Now, I don't want you to worry, Wolfert told his wife when the night came for him to go off on his adventure. I might not return until morning. Of course, this news did make her worry. She and Amy both begged Wolfert not to go, but nothing could stop him. He set under, out under a starlit sky. He and Dr. Kipper met Sam at the shore, and soon they were all rowing up the river. Did you hear something? Wolfert asked the other. What is it? The doctor replied. It sounded like someone rowing after us, after us, Wolfert said. They did hear the low sounds of oars. Sam rowed faster. The sounds disappeared behind them. Soon they arrived at the cove and tied the boat to the iron ring. They moved as quietly as they could. Every noise made them start. This is the place, Wolfert said. There are the three crosses. While Wolfert held the lantern, the doctor walked around with the divining rod, which was just a forked twig. At first, nothing happened. Then, like magic, the rod began to turn in the doctor's hands. It dropped down until it was pointing towards the earth. This is the exact spot, Dr. Kipper whispered. Shall I dig? Wolfert asked. No, of course not. We must complete the ceremonies to drive away evil spirits. The doctor drew a circle for all three of them to stand in. He started a fire with some twigs. The herbs that he burned sent up smoke that made Wolfert sneeze. The doctor read some silly words from a book and then said it was time to dig. Sam began to dig with the spade. For a long time, he threw sand and gravel out of the hole. Wolfert leaned over, holding the lantern, looking for the first glimmer of gold. But the digging went on and on. The hole grew deeper and deeper. They uncovered nothing but rocks. All of a sudden, the spade hit something hollow. It's a chest, Sam said. Full of gold, Wolfert said. He'd never been so happy. No sooner had he spoken than all three men heard a noise above them. Wolfert turned. Peeking over a rock was the terrible scarred face of the drowned sailor. Wolfert dropped the lantern and it went out. In the darkness, the three men ran in three different directions. Wolfert crashed through the bushes. He heard someone chasing right behind him. He ran faster, but could not escape. In a minute, he found himself on a cliff overlooking the river. A hand grabbed him. He turned and began to struggle with someone. 
It was too dark to see who it was. Suddenly, another man loomed out of the shadows and grabbed Wolfert's pursuer. Now, these two men wrestled with each other. Wolfert couldn't escape because he was right on the edge of the cliff. One of the two men sent the other flying over the edge. Wolfert heard him splash into the water below. Now the other was coming at him. All he could see was the shape of a human figure. There was nowhere to escape. Keep away, Wolfert cried. He began to climb down the steep slope. The next minute, he slipped. He tumbled downward, bouncing from rock to rock and bush to bush. When Wolfert awoke, the light of dawn was seeping into the sky. He found himself lying in the bottom of a boat. He was too sore and stiff to even look around. Lie still, Master Weber, a voice said. Wolfert knew that voice. It was Dirk Waldron, his daughter's suitor. Your wife begged me to follow you, Dirk explained. She was afraid of what might happen, but I had a hard time keeping up. I only arrived in time to rescue you from your attacker, whoever it was. So instead of going home loaded with treasure, Wolfert had to be carried on a board with nothing to show for his trouble. When they heard his story, some of the townspeople went back to the scene of the digging. They found nothing. To this day, the secret has never been revealed. Was there ever really treasure there? Did someone else find it? No one knows. Wolfert was in no condition to worry about treasure or pirates or anything else. He lay sick in bed, tended to by his wife and daughter. They bound up his wounds and sat at his bedside from morning till night. All of Wolfert's old friends came around to wish him well. Many brought herbs and different kinds of tea they said would help him to recover. Dirk Waldron came by every day to cheer him up. Nothing did any good. Wilfred grew weaker and weaker. He could do nothing but groan and sigh. To make matters worse, he learned that a new street was being planned. It would go right through the middle of his cabbage fields. That will complete my ruin, he moaned. Now what will become of my daughter? Leave Amy to me, Dirk answered. I'll take good care of her. Wilfred looked up at the strong, handsome young man. He knew that this was the man for his daughter to marry. You have my blessing, he said. Now I call a lawyer so that I can make my will. I don't have long to live. The lawyer arrived. Everyone was very sad to think these were Wolfert Weber's final hours. Amy cried by her father's bedside. Dame Weber took up her knitting to hide her grief. Write my will quickly, Wolfert said. I can feel my end approaching. The lawyer spread out a piece of paper and prepared to write. I leave behind my entire farm, Wolfert began faintly. Do you mean those fields that the town is going to run a main street through? The lawyer asked him. That's right, Wolfert said, sinking back on his pillow. Well, whoever inherits that piece of ground will become one of the richest people in these parts, the lawyer said. A glimmer of light appeared in Wolfert's eyes. You don't say, he said. I do say. When those fields are cut into building lots, whoever owns them will be very, very wealthy. Really, Wolfert said. Then I think I will not make out my will just yet. From that moment, Wolfert began to get better. In a few days, he left his room. Soon he was making plans for streets and preparing deeds for building lots. The lawyer, instead of helping him make his will, helped him to make a fortune. Houses were built all over his fields, and from then on, instead of cabbages, Wolfert harvested money. He added on to his own house until it was the biggest house in the neighborhood, and soon it was filled with many chubby-faced grandchildren. Wolfert Weber's golden dreams had finally come true. The end. That's a long story, wasn't it? 
<laughs> he was looking for gold in his fields, and it was uh, there all the time. It just wasn't gold. It was an opportunity to sell them to people to build houses on. <laughs> I think there's a lesson in that for me and you, too. The things that uh, make us rich, we already have them. It may not be gold, but we may already have everything we dreamed of. We're just looking at it wrong. So I hope that uh, you take some time tonight and look at it the right way. That's what I'm going to try to do. I hope you rest well. I hope you liked your story. And I hope that you sleep great and that you wake up tomorrow and have another great day. Good night, friend.